Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, today is what? What is the day today? Do you guys know? Sixth. Sixth. Okay, so today is Saturday. No, Friday, <laughs> uh, April sixth, two thousand eighteen. Uh, it is what is it? It's four o four p.m. in Boulder, Colorado, and this is the hundred and fifty first episode of the Astrology Podcast. So joining me today is Adam Summer and Eugenia Crock, uh, and we're going to be doing a Q&A episode uh, for the three of us who all do podcasts. So Adam and Eugenia, welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Welcome to my house. Yeah, I'm enjoying your, li- your living room. And, and yeah. Eugenia, you drove in from the mountains. Yes, on a very snowy Friday afternoon. Snowy day. Uh, but yep. we scheduled this like a month, month and a half ago or something like mm-hmm. that, and we were determined to pull it off, and we did. I'm really excited. Uh, so we're here in Adam's living room. Uh, I lugged a bunch of equipment over. And we are actually, for some reason, the three of us all do successful astrology podcasts at this point, And we all happen to live in the same state. But this is the first time I think the three of us have all gotten together to record something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The three of us at the same time. Yeah. We've yeah. recorded in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've each been on like each other's shows, but it's the first time we're all together and the occasion is actually, Eugenia, you're actually getting ready potentially to move out of the country. So we thought we could scramble and do something like this before, just in case you decide to stay abroad permanently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you guys in person because of that. So where are you going? You're going to Egypt? Cairo, Egypt. So you 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 fell in love last year I did. Uh, while traveling abroad and are now actually going to, to live in Egypt. Yeah, well, actually, I fell in love. Uh, he's British, uh, my my partner, and he's an astrologer. So that's we met through the great worldwide web of astrology, and um, yeah, and we just got a really great opportunity to go to Egypt and learn things. And um, and I'm a Sun Aquarius ninth house, so I'm all about it. Totally I can't wait. Totally, yeah. All right, uh, and all right so and my show is the astrology podcast uh what is the name of your podcast uh, bridging realities an accessible astrology podcast okay and yeah. where can people find it uh yeah google bridging realities or accessibleastrology.com and on itunes soundcloud the okay. usual the Ex- usual accessibleastrology.com yeah. and where's yours adam exploring astrology is wherever podcasts are found okay yeah uh, i think it's on all of them like stitcher podcast addict and what's your like main website url Holes2heavens.com. Okay, awesome. All right, so what we did today is we we put out a call to all of our listeners for some questions and some interesting discussion topics, and we actually got a bunch of them in. So we're going to break this up in, a, in an interesting, unique way. We'll see if it works. I don't know. This is a bit of an experiment, uh, but we're going to take some of the questions from my listeners and answer them in the next hour for an episode on my podcast. Then we're going to do... Uh, an hour or 45 minutes or something of questions from Adam's listeners. And we're going to release that episode on your podcast. And then we're going to do another hour and we're going to take questions from some of your listeners, Eugenia, and release those on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into it then. So the first set of questions or the first discussion topic that's really kind of obvious and and a few people asked us about is just uh, our podcast origin stories and what it's like to be podcasters in this like new kind of weird field within astrology that's kind of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Adam, I think you were the one that got into it out of the three of us uh, before anyone else or the soonest, mm-hmm. right? When did you start your podcast? April of 2009. 
April two thousand nine. Okay, so yeah. you've been doing it for nearly a decade now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, how did you get into it, or or what was your what was your origin story? What prompted it? So, I actually have been listening to podcasts since the very beginning. So, podcasts began. I think it was two thousand four or mm-hmm. two thousand five. And I remember when I was at Naropa going to college, I had like one of those nanos, like those little podcast oh, yeah. nanos, and I would fill it up through my iTunes with podcasts that I liked. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one of my favorite shows back when was, was still, it still exists, but it's um, from the Upaya Zen Center and Joan Halifax Roshi, she's a mm-hmm. Zen Buddhist teacher, mm-hmm. just recorded Dharma talks. And I would listen to them like biking around town or listening to them at work and there was a few other really interesting shows, and I knew then that if I ever had anything interesting to talk about, I would start a podcast. And so in 2007-ish is when I started studying astrology. And so by the spring of 2009, I started it because I was, I was becoming aware that there was a vacancy Mm-hmm. of astrology podcasts that I wanted to listen to in the world. There was a couple. There was – I don't remember which ones there was. It's like Gary Caton had one mm-hmm. He started on. one, that's right, in 2008. Okay. And then I don't know what the other ones – but it was just, you know, like This Week in Astrology or something like that where right. it wasn't that interesting to me. So the whole intention of me starting the show was to have conversations with astrologers that I wanted to talk to. So like – my first 10 guests were like Stephen Forrest and Maurice, who was my neighbor, and um, Ari, who was a huge influence in my beginning, you know, of, of astrology. And just, I forget, like, the first 10, because those are the missing episodes now. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you lost a bunch of them. I heard you and Gary talking about that on a recent episode where yeah. you, you moved to a new website or a new host for hosting Libsyn. your podcast, wow. Libsyn, and you weren't able to, to transfer over, like, a big chunk of your early episodes. Like, a hundred of them. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> wow. Yeah. But I'm cool with that because, <laughs> I mean, it was the early days. I was like on a, what are they called? The snowflake mic. I was not that privy to levels. Sure. I wasn't preparing a lot. Like my whole strategy was pressing the red button and then kind of improving. Right. There was a lot of solo shows. I used to give readings to dead people. <laughs> And like celebrities that are dead, like I'm, I'm giving them readings. Why don't you still do that? I could. Other people probably are saying like they, those episodes were fun. And when I made the transition to be a little bit more professional about it, and I don't know, just be more prepared mm. with all of it, people noticed mm. the difference, and a lot of people didn't like the transition. Mm. Yeah. And so I think like at this point, almost ten years in, I'm slowly going back into that. And like exercising the same part of my brain mm. to like not have notes mm. and then to see what comes out of me because like that's the best test. Mm. Right. It's the best test. Of what yeah. You got. It's interesting going full circle like that uh, in terms of preparedness versus, versus not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, well, it's an interesting process that when we transition as podcasters, like as we shift how we do the episodes and how the audience really does they respond to it. They're really affected by our changes. Yeah. Yeah. Even my intro, because I change my intro every year or so. Yeah. And people get like jarred by it. Jarred. Absolutely. It's. Oh yeah. I've seen that on other podcasts where they'll change like the intro music and people will be like really up in arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do it every year. Just keep people on their toes. Okay. 
you know? Mm. And I get bored with it, too, because I feel like I'm constantly changing. Mm. Right. Like, that's been a huge thing. Like, I, I want to say that about my journey with podcasting, at least, is that um, when I got into it, like, I was very, very clear that I couldn't stand behind the astrology podcast as a name because that was definitely on the whiteboard, you know? Mm. But exploring astrology was something that I could stand behind because I was – just getting into it, I just started seeing clients, all of that, and I just wanted to make sure like I was in a position I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Now, as we all know, when you commit to this and you get to have conversations, deep and meaningful conversations with astrologers and, of course, the clients that we attract through it, it's a tremendous learning experience. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned so much just by having conversation with astrologers in the, in the years doing this. To where, like, I have to mutate because it changes mm-hmm. all the time, like, with what I'm doing and what I really think astrology is, in other words. And so, yeah, that's right. that's my story, I guess. Yeah, well, I think that's good for – that's one of my biggest pieces of advice sometimes for new astrologers is that you should start, like, a blog or a YouTube channel or a podcast or something like that. Even if you're still a new student and you're still getting a sense of what astrology is for you – even just documenting that process and talking about it with other people and sharing what you know at that current stage in your learning, even if you're only a few years into it, is a really useful and an acceptable process. And it's good to start that sooner rather than later if you think you are going to turn this into like a, a career or a profession or if it's something that's going to be a lifelong thing that you're devoted to. It's usually better to start getting some of those skills earlier rather than delaying them until like you think you're, you know, a master of astrology and you'll never have anything else to learn because right. that that day will never come because even, you know, astrologers have been doing it for 50 years like like Rob Hand or somebody still is learning things or every new client they learn something new and unique from so there's you're never going to get to a point where you feel like you've mastered everything. No way. Mm-hmm. No um, way. And I just want to add to that like tracking a person's progress. Mm-hmm. It's a very organic thing, but also I think it it's a way of connecting to the heart of your audience. Like when they're watching you learn and they're mm. watching you grow mm-hmm. and they're seeing your voice develop and everything that you do right. with your writing or podcasting, whatever it might be, that too creates like genuine uh, fanship. Mm-hmm. Like the thousand true fans, like what mm. Tim Ferriss often talks about. It's like people, it's a journey. It's absolutely a journey. And like when people witness that, then you've, you're, they're with you yeah, for life. I mean, that's been, and and maybe Mm. you can speak to that as well, Eugenia. Like for me, podcasting has created more of a genuine connection, or I found like there's more of a connection with the audience and the listenership than any other medium that I've used so far compared to like, you know, writing a blog post Mm. or or a newsletter or anything else. For some reason, when people like listen to a podcast, it seems like they're much more engaged. And I think you've mentioned that something similar to that, like that to me before. Have you Mm -hmm. had that experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially because of the way I do my podcast, I use my personal experience so frequently. Um, And of course, I had a co-host at the beginning. So we went back and forth with our personal, like we would just talk about what was going on today, right? And 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 how we feel. Danielle? Danielle Polgar, yeah. Okay. And I guess I'm kind of skipping ahead of the origin of it. But to say that, you're right. I think that I naively went into this thinking – okay, I'm going to do this with the podcast and Mm -hmm. that's what I'm, that's what's going to happen. And the problem is, is life happens, right? We get transits, we have progressions, we have perfections. 
Uh, and so we too change, right? We will never be a constant. We are, we're in flow with our charts, right? We, we shift and we change and we grow with them. And, and some listeners are for some reason compelled to be on that journey with us and some aren't. Sure. <laughs> and that's been for me, um, not the, my podcast is going through a pretty big shift right now. Um, I've, it's, it's almost been painful to lose some listeners because you, you do kind of develop a relationship with them and some of them just aren't wanting to stay on, on the journey with me right now. And so that's been a really interesting thing, but I'm getting new listeners that are adapting to that new place I'm in. Sure. Cause part of it was you, you and Danielle started the podcast together and then she recently had a child and that's taking up most of her attention. So right. you're, you've gone solo with the podcast. Yeah. And so we started our podcast over two years ago. So I'm the newest. Um, and we, we had talked about it for about five years or something. Cause we went to graduate school together. Uh, we both earned our master's in counseling and psychology and learned and utilized astrology throughout that, that master's program. Uh, both of us went on the path to become therapists. That was our thing. I became an art therapist. I had an art therapy studio for quite a few years, actually. Uh, working with teenagers and um, a lot of grief work and death and dying work. And at some point I was going to the art therapy studio and I was starting to get astrology, more astrology clients. And I would get really bummed out when I had to go see my art therapy clients. Like I, my energy dropped and I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to like get into that. But then when I knew I was going to read a chart for someone, my energy went up. Sure. And that was a clear message to me that my therapeutic practice was crying for astrology to be the primary modality to work with clients. And so I think at one point I just, you know, Danielle and I had talked about it because we called each other, I don't know, a couple times a week to talk on the phone about astrology because we couldn't talk to anybody else. Right. Um, because as we know, astrology has really shifted in the last six months, I would say, and there's more and more people who are interested. But when we've been practicing, you know, I've been practicing for 10 years myself. And for those 10 years, I really had no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. And it was a really isolating journey. And Danielle was someone I could talk to. And we said, why don't we just start recording our conversations? And hopefully, we'll find more people to talk to, um, of course, find clients this way. And so we we did that. And then of course, life took her into becoming a mother. She had her son progress into cancer, uh, and some other crazy baby transit. And, um, and her energy wasn't able to be as focused on the podcast. And of course that has changed how I do the podcast. It's really different to have a co-host than as a individual. It's a lot scarier. <laughs> To do a podcast on your own. I, I had no idea that it would frighten me as much as it has. And it's tested me. It's really challenged me. And of course, it's reflecting what's happening in my chart because I've got a lot of Leo stuff happening in my chart right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm noticing that that fear of judgment, putting, putting my voice out there in the world and working with it. Um, so that's kind of like a brief summary of my journey into podcasting. Sure. And, but even just doing it for two years, it's been successful or, or would you say that most of your clients uh, in your astrological practice come from people that have listened to your podcast yeah. at this point? Yeah. Easily. Definitely. Like all of them. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I've obviously I practiced practice for almost eight years before I did the podcast and that was always referral. Mm -hmm. So I built a pretty 
large referral based network and I didn't do any marketing or anything like that. Um, and so the podcast wasn't so much to even get clients as much as it was to just be able to, to build this community. And this is how we've all connected too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we've then built upon each other's communities, which has been really powerful as well. And, um, and that was ultimately the goal of having a podcast was to build a community of people. So we didn't feel like weirdos <laughs> in our little dorky, geeky astrology world, you know? Yeah. We were weirdos, but now we're pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest thing that all astrologers have that experience that astrology can be a very isolating yeah. study just because, you know, not a lot of people do it. It's kind of like a fringe study. It's not like well recognized or received by science or academia or religion from most the most part. So most astrologers have that experience of you know this it being this thing that they do on their own, sort of in isolation. And then occasionally you'll find like a group online or you'll go to a local astrology group or go to an astrological conference and suddenly you find that there's a whole group of other people mm-hmm. that are doing the same thing and that you can actually talk to and have conversations with. And I think that's probably one of the things that people are interested in and and enjoy about listening to an astrology podcast is just that you can kind of have that experience or take part in some of those discussions or, or eavesdrop on some of them um, on a, on a regular basis without necessarily having to go to an astrology conference or go to a local astrology group or what have you. Uh, Has that been sort of your guys' experience? Mm -hmm. I just love podcasts in general. I mean, like I said, I've been with it as a medium since the beginning. Sure. It's like or YouTube started around the same time as yeah. well. It was like 2003, four or something like that. Right. So it was around the same time, and I had no relationship to YouTube until 2009 or 10 or something like that. But podcasting, on the other hand, I've always been into because there is something about conversation. It's mm-hmm. an art form. Mm-hmm. And for people that, like you're saying, don't have community or friends to talk to about a given topic, well, there you are, fly on the wall in it, and you feel like you know them right. as well. And so there's there's something, and this is a really important thing, and it touches on, I don't know if we're going to go off in that direction, but different media and the capacity for learning, like how much can be computed. In my opinion, like there's no comparison to how much I remember and comprehend when I listen to something right. to when I watch and listen. Mm, Marshall sure. McLuhan talks a lot about this. Like the medium is the message kind of idea that there, like there's too much coming in. And there's also a separation when you're watching video mm. for comprehension to occur. And so like when I'm listening, it's almost as deep as reading mm-hmm. for me or like being with a person and, 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 and talking to them. And so I think there's that component, but also it um, remedies isolation. And you mm-hmm. feel like all of a sudden, like you're a part of something, and and uh, I mean, that's also where it gets weird, yeah. Too. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll get into that later. We're having this pre-show discussion about people that are like a little bit too into your your work or yeah. or, or take it in a weird direction. So we'll, we'll get to that later. So some of the connected questions with this were. Um, how we got started, the logistics of running a successful astrology podcast from Serena, from a listener named Serena. Uh, A listener named Maria asked, in which way running a podcast affects your consultation practice? And another listener named Belinda asked, do any of you schedule your podcasts, articles, et cetera, using astrological techniques? So using electional astrology, I think she means. 
And if so, what do you do and what have been some of the things that you learned from that? There's a lot of questions, Chris. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I just and, want to throw them out there. You shared your journey into yeah, podcasting. Yeah, true. Sure. So my yeah. origin story was I actually, there was a podcast called in like the late 2000, around 2009, 2010, um, that website Blog Talk Radio was mm, really popular. Yeah. And a lot of people were using that as like a free blog uh, podcasting platform. And there was a guy named, an astrologer named David Hernandez, who started a podcast called Traditional Astrology Radio. And it was interesting because it was a podcast on traditional astrology. There was like a few other, like you said, around that time, a few other general podcasts, but it was the first one I, I had seen that was a little bit more focused on a, a specific approach or a specific tradition. And he did that show for not very long, for maybe less than a year, I feel like. And then he handed it over to a Kepler College student named Jackie Minkies. Uh, and she did it for, she did a ton of episodes, but she really expanded it. And she was interviewing just everybody. It didn't matter if they were traditional or modern or Vedic or what have you. And I listened to her show and I was actually really interested in it and engaged in it. And we were friends and eventually she was going to go off to grad school and work on a master's degree uh, at Nick Campion's program in the UK. And she asked me if I wanted to take over. So I think it was actually on my birthday on November 1st, 2010, that I took over the show from her. And we did sort of like a handing over of the baton. And I just sort of randomly started doing this podcast. And I did it for maybe 10 episodes, uh, very sporadically. But then uh, at some point, I think around 2012, somebody, uh, I think it was Jeffrey Kirshner, the astrologer from New York, just got rid of the domain, theastrologypodcast.com. And I happened to come across it. And I emailed him and I said, did you mean to give that up? And he said, yeah, I'm not going to use it. So if you want to take it, go ahead. So I, I bought it. I immediately decided to start a new podcast because now that I got some experience, I knew how to do it correctly. It's kind of like your lost episodes, Adam, where you know, if you go back and listen to that, it, it does not sound very good. And it was very impromptu and, and things like that, but it gave me the necessary experience. So I launched the astrology podcast and I just had this idea about, you know, what if instead of so many times when I go to a local astrology group and somebody gives a lecture, I always want to like ask them questions or I'll see the person struggling to connect with the audience. And sometimes there's questions that the audience has that the the guy person giving the lecture doesn't address. And I always wished that I could just like stop that person and ask them to clarify that point or or ask them to just go into a little bit further that specific, you know, thing that they were kind of glossing over or that they were taking for granted. So my idea with the podcast was that I could do that and we could have a platform for almost having astrology lectures, but having them in more of a dialogue format where I could help the person in order to draw out some of the things that the audience might want to know about what they're saying. So that's a great story. And actually that's partly why I got involved in astrology is I had gone to lectures, you know, throughout the years mm -hmm. and I watched so many people just bewildered at the end of these lectures, because I think with astrology, when you get it, you get it. Right. Right. And there's some people who are really drawn to it, but it takes some extra time, right? The, the, you know, there's levels of, of like the competency as it comes quickly or, or less quickly for other people. And I found that I was, I was thinking there was like maybe a lack of translation for a lot of people. And right. that's why we called the, the podcast bridging realities was how can I take the vocabulary of astrology and, um, 
put it into layman's terms, so to speak, so anybody can understand it. I was just talking to uh, Adam just before about how I use figurines in my practice, right, to actually give people that visualization of the archetypes and try to bridge it. And so I love that you're saying that you took the lecture form and you tried to distill it down to this conversation because that's that's exactly what I was trying to do is when 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 people would walk away just feeling like I don't know what to do with this information that was what inspired me is how can how can I translate this better for for people to really digest it in a more broad perspective or a more broad audience sure cuz i think people get intimidated by astrology right yeah, yeah. It's definitely a very intimidating field when you first get into it. Right. Yeah. And I think people are scared to say, I don't know this or um, I want to know this, but this just isn't making sense. You know, like for even as astrologers, there were certain aspects that took forever for me to get. Like it took me a good five years to really get Neptune, mm-hmm. for example. It just did. It just took a long time for me to get Neptune. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. And one time I asked uh, one of my mentors, I was like, why can't I get Neptune? He's like, that's so Neptunian. <laughs> of course well, it's true. Get Neptune. <laughs> right. It's a common symptom, I suppose. Right. And so being able to say like, listen, like, like we're saying here, we don't know everything. That's not even close to the truth. You know, there's always this constant learning experience with astrology and to help, you know, alleviate some of that intimidation I think people have. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just uh, making it clear that astrologers are real people. Totally. I, think, I think that's one of the th- things that comes through in all three of our podcasts mm-hmm. is that we're just normal people that happen to be into this super weird thing, uh, and we're all sort of exploring it in different ways and coming at it from different directions. But there's this common sort of like earnestness about trying to figure it out and trying to talk with other people in order to develop our own understanding of it, as well as you know, our audiences. Yeah. So exploring astrology, bridging astrology and my just generic, you know, search engine title. <laughs> yeah. the astrology well, I podcast. almost titled my show yours. <laughs> okay, Like that was the thing. And I had to stay with it for a long time, Chris, because I just did not feel I could hold up that mm. title, like worth where I was at with mm. my studies. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was really just going for like, I thought it would make it easier to find in search results. Like when people go to iTunes yeah, and works. they search for astrology podcast. Like, they find you first. If you put astrology and they don't find me or sure. you, I don't think either because of our titles. Yeah. But it's interesting because we have really distinctive audiences. I think that a lot of people listen to all three of our podcasts. There is a good amount of them. Yeah. yeah. But I think ultimately we really appeal to three very different types of of people as well which is so awesome and mm-hmm. um this, that's why so this this conversation is so cool cuz we're cross-pollinating our different strengths and um there's a point I want to bring up about that like when you guys were just talking mm. and you know if there's anybody listening that is thinking about starting a podcast or a, a vlog or whatever it might be mm-hmm. there is something to niche creations yeah at least for starting, because if you're trying to get into something and, and then it's so general and you're trying to cover everything, it's like that kind of has been done and it may not, I, I guess, be as interesting to a given audience. And so to start, and it's really good advice that comes from other directions too, with a thing that you're really passionate about mm-hmm. and then allow that to, to grow mm-hmm. from, from that place. And I never knew, like I didn't have a business plan. 
I didn't mm-hmm. know what my like niche was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it was just always me being as authentic as possible and mm-hmm. not being influenced by criticism, by my surroundings, just knowing that I had to do it my way mm. the whole time. Mm. And that's a tough thing when you're putting yourself out there because you're going to get trolls and you're going to get criticism and that's all going to come. But uh, we need it. And failure is very important. Sure. And, well, yeah. it's fascinating because now that I've gone from having a co-host to being a, a single host, I've I've faced a new challenge that I didn't realize existed. And it's that it's, it's when you're putting yourself out there, how do you metabolize the criticism? How do you, you know, deal with that criticism and how do you find your niche? You know, like mine was before a conversation with another female astrologer. So it was all about like female empowerment and it was right before like the me too movement. And that was the whole theme of our podcast. We were on like the, the edge of that wave, you know, where you're riding it before it really took over. And, and then once she left, it is, it's, it's something to be said about that patience. If someone is wanting to put themselves out there, not just a podcast, but like any type of art, right? Like this is just an expression of ourselves. It's art. How do we put ourselves out there and learn to navigate the criticism and, and finding our path, you know, like for you, Chris, I'm actually quite curious. When do you feel like you got your stride? Because for you, it, it sounds like it happened after a hundred episodes or so. Maybe, Somewhere yeah. Around there, I, I think, yeah, that's about right. Um, it the way I market is with Uranus. Actually, mm. when Uranus really got situated in Aries, right, yeah, which was in March of 2011, yeah, there was just so many circumstances in my life that pressed me into this position where it's like now or never Mm. like you need to take this very seriously now and i did i upgraded my microphone like every time i've upgraded a microphone has been uh right like a notch in 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 me taking it more and more seriously uh and so yeah i i think it was about 100 episodes at that point and i was also able to have a pretty good idea of who I was talking to. Mm. And so for you, maybe this could be helpful. Like I have a practice before I press record, right? Right, right. Like I play my guitar to massage those parts of Mm. my brain, you know, like opening up that creative center. But then there's, there's images of who I'm talking to, Mm. right? Like Hermes is always there. I'm talking to him directly in the form of all astrologers that I look up to. Mm. There's me, 10,000 versions of me in an audience, and I need to be interesting enough for myself to listen to. Mm. And then there are those that really resonate with what I'm putting out. And specifically, as of lately, I'm trying to balance out my audience and also my clientele by having more men in the circle. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, and I always joke about this, but it's really helpful for me as I think about the boyfriend on a road trip. Where she, where, sure. where a girlfriend's like, I want to listen to Adam. He's like, like I don't want to listen to this astrology podcast. But then she's like, No, no, no. He's into all the things you're into. Trust me. Totally. Just like, listen to him, and then like after five minutes, I have his attention. Yeah. I speak to these people, and it really helps me to know that I'm doing good astrology. I'm impressing myself. Hopefully, if I'm listening to it in like 20 years, or if it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
and then to get the attention of the guy, because that's one thing that has been a conversation that's come up in a few podcasts I've done lately is one um, that is incredibly strange balance that the majority of, I know your listeners, my listeners, I'm not sure about yours, but women, like we're talking Mm -hmm. like 90%. I think for most astrologers. Yeah. It's it's the field, but yet a lot of the voices or, you know, I haven't like been to you. I think it was like two thirds. I did a a survey recently. It was just of patrons. So it's only paying supporters, but it was either two thirds or like three quarters of mine were women. Yeah. And mine are one hundred percent women. One hundred percent, and I do I do attract men, which is good. I think it's because of that mental exercise and because of just me being me. Uh, thing is, I know because I've experienced it with my guy friends, and I know because I'm a guy who was against astrology for right. a very long time, but still into consciousness and still into all of these wonderful ideas that experienced it properly. And so I know that there's men out there that when they hear it in the right way, it's going to turn something for them and then they'll get into it. And so it's so important for me to create like a even field of, of listeners, clients, just the whole community basically. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's something I think then that ties together all three of our podcasts. Cause that's part of my focus as well, which is just every single episode when we're presenting a new concept or doing an interview, just not taking anything for granted and just imagining that the listener doesn't know anything about the subject that you're talking about mm-hmm. yep. is often the, the approach that I try to take, even with one. like more complicated things. Like Kelly Surtees and I did an episode on secondary progressions a few mm-hmm. months ago, and we just tried to start from the very beginning and just say, what are the things that are being taken for granted as like conceptual or philosophical or technical principles when we're talking about this topic? And then start from the basics there and then go through the intermediate all the way to the advanced concepts, but always cover your bases first by getting the, the basics down. So when did you feel like you hit your stride with the episode? I think it took a few years. Yeah. Um, and I was doing it sporadically, like I would go months without doing another episode. Mm-hmm. But it took a few years after I started it in 2012. And then at some point by like 2014 or 2015, I realized that like the majority of my clients and my students that were signing up for my courses were coming from listening to me on the podcast, listening to my episodes, like getting a familiarity with who I am and how I think and what my approach to astrology was, and then feeling comfortable wanting to get a consultation or take a class with me. Mm -hmm. And so I started ramping it up a little bit then. And then I was told about Patreon by uh, Kent Bai, who does the I'm spacing out the name of his podcast right now, but he has a great astrology podcast that he was doing for a few years sporadically. Radiant? Uh, no, it's not radiant. Uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I'll remember it and I'll circle back around and, and mention yeah. it later. But he mentioned Patreon, which had just started as a concept, and he was one of the first early adopters. And he told me about it at like a Northwest Astrology Conference like two or three years ago. And I went home and immediately set up a page and that really was a game changer for me because mm-hmm. then my listeners you know they wanted to have me do more episodes and i said this is what it's going to take is you know i would do this full time if i could but i need to make an income or a living from it if i devote that much time to it and pretty quickly like people started pledging support and that made a huge difference and just the past two or three years of my life have been completely different and i started doing four episodes a month plus two bonus episodes just for patrons and now that's kind of like my primary thing in addition to just teaching and sometimes doing other 
website or blog articles or something like that, like the podcast has become more or less like my primary sort of focus or vocation on some level. Mm. So that's all in the past few years. So it's been kind of a wild, crazy ride and I never mm. expected it to be this successful. I thought it would be <laughs> a nice thing and, and maybe I'd do it on the side every once in a while and it would be a good platform for getting my voice out there, but not that it would, would sort of take off in that way. And here's how we cross pollinate because I was about, I was about to quit okay. the podcast at my seven year itch wow. cycle, which was 2015 when you started the Patreon. And I was kind of watching your Patreon, seeing if it was like a legitimate venture, right? And then I just had this moment where like, okay, I'm going to try it. Sure. And then it was a game changer because when, once I realized that, okay. There's a way of monetizing this mm-hmm. because people don't understand. It is a lot yeah. of energy to right. go into doing a good podcast. Incredible yeah. amounts. Like scheduling the interview, doing it, editing the audio, making it perfect, getting it all together, posting it. My like mm-hmm. the whole thing is hours and hours and hours and it's free. Right. And right. people don't get that. Right. Like they don't. so many people don't understand that it, this is free. Yeah. What you're listening to. And so like starting Patreon was huge for me. Like it basically saved the podcast from being buried. Sure. Like I was really very seriously about to quit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I was pretty early episodes. I was like in the less than 50 or like 30 range oh, wow. or something like that. And now I just passed 150. This is episode mm-hmm. 151. So I've done over 100 episodes or 100 something episodes just over the past couple of years since I got the patrons. And then suddenly this became a full-time job doing four episodes a month. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, how do you guys deal with like topics? Because one of the things that's done for me that's been challenging is that sometimes coming up with good topics every month that are like mm-hmm. uh, persuasive or or compelling discussions can sometimes be a little bit challenging. I don't know if you guys ever run into that. Sure. For me, originally, my the podcast was a conversation with Danielle. So it wasn't um, necessarily astrology driven it was astrology bridging bridging (laughs) it was so it was just talking about what's happening in our lives and just using astrology within that conversation so it didn't mean anything but it's interesting now that i am solo it has brought up oh gosh where do i go right and Mm -hmm. and that question of I'm going through, I think the big evolution I'm going through within the podcast right now around topics, especially is I've been really questioning ethical issues with astrology. That's been really at the forefront of my mind for uh, really since, since the beginning of 2018, because I know we've all had this conversation on our podcasts around ethics within astrology, because there is no governing board. There is no, um, you know, master's degree program or licensing board or government agency kind of keeping tabs on things that we do. And so I've, I've found that I've been wondering about topics. How much do we give knowing that there's ethics behind us doing that, right? Because we're giving people tools that are actually really, really powerful and they can be misused, uh, these tools. And so how do we give this information in a way that we feel ethically good about uh, about that? And so I've been going through that kind of internal questioning about, and again, because I do have the background in therapy, I've really 
had that at the forefront of mm-hmm. my my thinking. So when it comes to the topics, I've been trying to I've I've done a couple of solo podcasts, which is really intense. Um, right. I'd be curious how you guys feel about those as opposed to conversational mm-hmm. uh, podcast episodes. But I've been really trying to make them more organic, where I'm just like walking around and thinking and kind of talking out loud to myself, which helps me learn, right? These conversations help us learn. It's the campfire, right? This is how humans process. This is how humans learn is within these conversations in our heads and outside of them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that um, I've, I've tried to do topics in alignment with what's happening in the sky. I've tried to do topics, what's happening in the culture, you know, I think that's a big one for me. What's happening in pop culture? I'm fascinated by pop culture, fascinated by it, uh, and so I try to integrate that into the into the shows as well. But I do think that uh, the topics for me, I, because I'm in this big transition, how do I help people, guide people with astrology, and also be aware of the power of of what I'm doing that it's affecting. That's the thing is I don't think I realized how many people were listening. And then I started finding out because we don't really have clear numbers. I don't know if you've mastered that yet. Well, Uh, Libsyn's pretty good. Are they? With telling you. Didn't you guys use Libsyn? No. Oh yeah. Libsyn tells you everything and where Mm. they're listening from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't have a a solid thing, but I started going to these conferences last year. Right. uh, During my 11th house perfected year. And I was shocked by how much I was influencing people. And that was a really humbling um, call to reality that, oh, yeah, I am affecting lives here. So, Which relates to my first question, doesn't it? Which, which was? One? The podcast star. Right. The podcast star. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that in choosing talk topics right now i'm trying to be very very conscious of the impact that that has on my listeners sure you know yeah yeah i mean when you go to conference have you been to one because that's over the past few years that's been my when austin and kelly because who i austin Kopic and kelly surtees where we do the monthly forecast episodes and we have been for two or three years now when we go to conferences now and we just have people coming up yeah. to us over and over again saying they'd listen to whatever episode and they really liked it, mm-hmm. that's when you actually really fully realize that there are people out there listening. Because otherwise, for all of us, it's just something we record and we put out right. there and you don't always connect with like how that's influencing people. And not just listening, but becoming astrologers. Right. That's been the most shocking. Like, whoa people who have been listening to us are now taking some of our information that we've been helping, you know, and, and of course from all of the other astrologers and starting their own practice. And that's a huge, whoa, that's a huge responsibility when you think about that. Yeah. Or that there's new astrologers that are just coming into the field in the past few yep. years. And that like your podcast is like the main thing they're listening right. to. That's a surprising thing. And, and Adam, you've actually done some events and like little mini conferences yourself or, or like intensives with, listeners primarily recently, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. been part of that experience for you in terms of like really connecting with with people that listen to you on a regular basis. For sure. And for me it hasn't, you know, been having that realization through say going to conferences because I actually haven't been to an astrology conference yet. Um but in the early years I used to do a lot of festivals and whatnot, and I would lecture and 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 give readings and stuff, which isn't that that different within you know one of the 
you know, subcultures that I'm involved with. Mm-hmm. So I'd have the experience there, but also just being in Boulder, like Boulder, like it is not uncommon for someone to come up to me when I'm out and about and talk about something that I'm creating. And so it's kind of been a byproduct the whole way through of what I do in that, in that sense. And um, so yes, ethics, being very aware of, of, of what we're saying. And I, I'm into the task at hand. Like, I think it's really important because for myself, I mean, it's always been a, a mega treat to like meet astrologers who think and in a way act like I would want to myself. And like a lot of the misinformation that I had, or at least, you know, the, the, the bits I was getting from pop culture, just from the peripheral world of astrology before I actually knew what was going on with astrology, you know, it turns people off. It really does. And until they come in contact with an astrologer that really changes their mind about it. For me, it was Rick Tarnas. Right. So Tarnas's book, Cosmos and Psyche, was your first book. That's actually a really interesting point because I just published an article the other day that was like my top six recommendations for beginner astrology books and I actually recommended Tarnas. And like a couple of people were like, that's way too advanced or dense of a book for for beginners. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually met, (laughs) no, I've met a bunch of, especially like, like male males who mm-hmm. are into philosophy yeah. or cosmology or things like that, where that was their first book and that got them into astrology by showing them that there was like a, an intellectual, you know, not just like emotional or, or character-based take on it, but that there were, there was something tangible there. Yeah. So you're actually a good example of why I have that as one of my recommended beginner books, just because I think there's certain, there's a certain type of person that that book would appeal to. It's true. And it worked for you as your it first worked. book, right? It really did. And okay. it was it was kind of like a Trojan horse experience too, because when I purchased it, I didn't even know it was a book on astrology. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the philosophy section. <laughs> like or I something. had no idea. It's yeah. usually like in Barnes and Noble. I think it's in the philosophy section yeah. most of the time. Yeah. So, and also the first 60 to 80 pages are really no mention. Right. Well, he just does this extended either. like story about Galileo, I think it was, mm-hmm. or, or, or who, um, well, just the changing of the worldview. Right. Or, right? or no, it wasn't, it was Copernicus yeah. and the, um, the idea that the sun was the center of mm-hmm. the solar system and that the planets mm-hmm. revolved around the sun. And then the idea that he was privy to this knowledge and he knew this amazing thing, but that nobody believed him and everyone thought he was crazy. And that it was even like against religious and scientific standards at the time, but somehow he knew that there was something to the theory. And that's like the first 50 pages of the book was him drawing not a very, uh, you know, an analogy, obviously, with astrology in present times. Yeah. Yeah. And how that's happening. And it worked. And I, I, I mean, I did honestly read that whole book and with, with great fascination without ever casting my chart. I still hadn't had a reading and I never even cast in my chart because there's no information about natal chart astrology or anything in the book. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like planetary complexes and cycles throughout history. Sure. I mean, there's like a little bit of mention in the beginning of it, but that's about it. So I never had, I mean, I did that much. And, and then I started meeting astrologers because that's what happens. Ideas become us and we become beacons or magnets for other ideas around it. And so I just started meeting astrologers mm-hmm. everywhere. And yeah, that's really like the origin of it. And then finally I got a reading that like really opened me up. And then so, so 
began. Okay. Feels like a tangent, but no, no. Uh, it's funny just because I was thinking about that recently. Okay. So let's, while we start like getting through some of the other questions, one of the, before we move on from this topic, the last one that we didn't address was just, and I, th- I might be the only one that does this, but she asked, do you schedule any of your podcasts basically using electional astrology? And I actually do try to whatever extent I can to schedule both the interviews when I record the original podcast, as well as to some extent releasing the podcast. I do try to pick like a good electional chart each time. And there have been ones where I don't, but I often feel like it doesn't quite go as well when I don't like make an effort to at least see if there's some decent rising sign or something at the time. Do you guys do that? I, th- I feel like I might do that more than might be typical, but I'm not sure if, if other astrologers do it at all. I can answer real quick. Okay. And then you can go. So it depends. As far as the interviews, no. Okay. But the last two I have done with Gary Caton and Ren Butler, they uh, wanted to. Okay. So with Gary, we did with Mercury at maximum elongation, and that went really well. People seemed to really like that conversation. And then with Ren, I forget what it was. But he was avoiding a particular chance. I think it was the Mars-Saturn conjunction. He wanted to avoid mm. that. And then we did it like in the aftermath of that. And that okay. also went really well. But I usually don't do it with the interview. As far as me posting it, I would say sloppy electional astrology is what I do. And it's mainly with the moon. So like I'll pay attention to where the moon's at in my own transits and chart. And I'm so sensitive to what I am, wherever the moon is. And so I'll avoid posting a podcast when say the moon's in Scorpio, because I don't want that energy to get out to the world. This is like a very internal time for me. <laughs> sure. <You> sure. <laughs> might be, tr- it might be uh, uh, taken differently. So sure. That's my answer. Uh, what about you, Eugenia? Yeah, Do you- no, not even no. well, it, remotely ele- a little bit. Because <laughs> electional is not something you focus on. You're, no. You mainly focus on like psychological. Yeah, I'm much more of a psych, yeah. Okay. I think like ultimately I'm a therapist, sociologist who uses astrology as a tool. And I have found implementing electional astrology in my own life has been detrimental. Mm-hmm. It's really messed with my mind for me. So, uh, you know, whether it's a flight I'm going to take or a, uh, event I'm going to host or something of that nature, I find I get really heady when I look at the electional side of it, I get really, I freak myself out, you know, um, like I have a lot of really important things coming up in the next few years and including a move to Cairo, right? Like it's not a little deal. It's a big deal. And so, you know, signing my papers to get out of my home happened to be on the day Mercury went retrograde. And there was no way I could really change that. The paper had to be signed. It had to be done that day. And I had an internal conflict within myself of the the heady part of it. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I've done things on Mercury retrograde that have been negative. I've had adverse response or reaction to it. But I had to, I've had to learn to like follow my heart a little bit more. That's that more uh, intuitive felt experience of my life because I tend to be more heady. You know, I'm very Aquarius and very Gemini and very Libra. I have a very massive air uh, trying in my chart. And my journey with astrology has been how do I take the heady side of astrology? 
and for a moment, just place it aside. We've Adam and you and I talked about this on one of our podcasts together about how do I just also come back to the breath, like the moment, the thing that comes so much. It's it's bigger than astrology. It's bigger than the cosmos. And I've been trying to learn how can I do both. Mm-hmm. So when I'm releasing podcasts, it's it's very much organic. If I want to, especially as a solo host right now, if I want to do an episode, I'm going to do it. If I don't want to, I'm not going to do it. And that has to be in flow with where I'm at. And some people can do that with me and some people can't. And I think maybe eventually if I'm actually settled somewhere and I have like a studio where I can, you know, purchase the the better equipment and, and have a really steady experience with my life, maybe I might think about it a little bit more. But for now, it's just totally in flow with what feels right. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that raises a bigger question that I often wonder about, which is to what extent is like foreknowledge of the future Mm -hmm. useful versus to what extent does that or attempting to even control the future using something like electional astrology just end up making you neurotic rather than just going with the flow or dealing with things that you have to deal with and, Mm -hmm. and letting things be. There's a, there's a tension there that I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone fully resolve and that I I still am often trying to resolve myself. And I'm always curious how different astrologers deal with that, that tension. Well, and it's interesting. Mm. One of the big conversations we had on the podcast when Danielle was pregnant was what is her baby going to have? What is the baby's chart going to be? Okay. Now that's a whole different wormhole that is, it can get scary. Yeah. Well, Um, or, or induce because so many people induce at this point. Or right, if, and you, I, if you have to sometimes. Right. And it's amazing because, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of Danielle, but all the things she didn't want her kid to have, her kid has. It's amazing how that works out. And of course, I'm kind of moving into that place in my life of, you know, marriage chart, babies, things like that. And it's not healthy for me to be so focused on the future, A, and B, on what can go wrong. Right. And I think that there's an element of that that makes that is the best part about astrology is we can use it to make wiser decisions. But at the end of the day, there has to be some development of trust in 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 our own chart, you know, why it's unfolding the way it's unfolding, and then what will come and what has come before. So so many clients come to me looking to uh, what's the word? Dodge pain. Right. Or to avoid bad experiences. Right. right. And, and it's so important that we remember that that's the juice of life, right? It's our challenges that make life what it is. So all three of us have podcasts because there was something we thought was broken, right? So you talk, you've talked about wanting to reach out to more men, Adam, you know, mm-hmm. more like you. And that's because you didn't have that reflection for yourself as a, as someone seeking it. Um, I was seeking out a, a, a podcast that helped helped me feel less intimidated, you know, by other uh, male astrologers. No offense, but you guys are very smart, right? And and here I am, and I'm kind of just a little bit more feminine and goofy, right? And so I created that podcast to fill that hole within myself. And the so niches. the niches and and those are the the parts of our charts that we have challenges with, but ultimately become the medicine that we 
we produce for the world. And so how can we... A seat of Chiron for future podcasts. Totally. I was actually thinking yeah. we should bring that into mine on, on, yeah, my, on my episode. Up. I'm super into Chiron too. So. Yeah. And that's a question I think several people asked. That will be on my episode. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's crush some more questions then for, for mine really quickly. Let's just like get through some. Are we at the right. hour though? I mean, Where we should. We? I think we're. We should we're, be oh God, careful. You're right. We're 56 minutes in, oh, so we, yeah. we spent like 30 or 40 minutes just talking about. But that was pretty thorough, though. Like as a subject matter, like talking about podcasting, the whole experience. Yeah, sure. Doing that, I think that's a. I'd listen to that podcast. Yeah, I hope it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe I will. I mean, I hope it wasn't a little too like navel gazing or like not relatable if you're not planning on starting a podcast or something like that. Well, starting anything, I think it might be relatable. Sure, right? It's a about business, becoming yes. Anything, anything we anything we create. Okay. This is kind of a conversation about creation, really, and becoming a voice in the collective. Yeah, which has been one of the most interesting journeys of my life. Surely, sure. Um, very well, up and down. It's a very yeah. <laughs> it can be a very emotional experience. Well, maybe yeah. just uh, hey, you can do one more. One more. Yeah, sure. I, I have one more really good one actually that okay. came from. This is a larger discussion, but it was from Christina Codhill who says, um, "I know the history of astrology and astrologers is long, but I'm curious if ancient astrologers earned a living as professionals on their work with astrology." I ask because in some astrology and new age circles, there seems to be shame around earning a living as an astrologer because it's considered a quote unquote spiritual practice by many. Uh, we know that people monetize anything and everything these days, but the history would be interesting to look at where ancient astrologers advise, weren't ancient astrologers advisors to kings and emperors? Were they ever aligned with the church or in a position such as priests? Um, yeah. So, you know, she's she's asking it specifically about ancient astrologers, but it's an interesting broader question about that I do see occasionally, especially in some new age circles, oftentimes by people that are not practicing astrologers or professional astrologers, some reluctance or shame or or some other emotion. I have a hard time understanding exactly about doing astrology and accepting money from people for doing astrology. Um and that's sort of an interesting discussion topic because it's something that everybody struggles with in different ways on some level or another, whether it's, you know, the most common one is like what to charge for consultations, like what's an appropriate, you know, fee to charge to sit down and read somebody's birth chart. And occasionally you do see extremists on both sides where there's an extreme side that there's not a lot of people that honestly take this position, but occasionally you'll hear them that say, like Christina was saying, that just say you should never accept money for astrology because it's a, it's a spiritual practice and it's wrong to exchange currency for that because of a you know whatever their reasons are. But then there's also an opposite extreme, which is also not good, which is occasionally you will run into somebody who is clearly charging what a lot of practicing astrologers would consider to be too much for consultation or where it almost seems like they're going too far or or that they might be you know not giving people as much value as they're getting money for in a way that strikes some astrologers as weird and sort of wondering if that's appropriate or if there's something inappropriate about how much they're charging so that's kind of an interesting broader question about you know, how do how do you guys feel about that? Have you ever thought about that, or have you ever struggled with that? Um, <laughs> yeah, a <you think laughs> little bit. Yeah. No, I mean, and also in the comment thread, she gave the specific example of it, which I think is absolutely absurd. 
where she like you know the woman like came down on her and like refused oh to yeah pay her. Well, it was a client who yeah. said they did the consultation and at the end of the consultation the client was like you shouldn't charge people money for astrology as like a general principle i don't think she was even saying that yeah. it was because the consultation was was bad it was that she didn't think in general that astrologers should charge for what they do yeah absurd yeah, that's absurd yeah yeah, she never mind, I was gonna say something that would get me in trouble. But it's been a huge journey for me because I started out doing donation based readings. Oh wow. And that was hellish. Yeah. That was hellish because in the beginning, as most of us know, you prepare a lot and right. you, I mean there's a lot of energy and like just stress and worry that goes into like your first readings you ever do. Especially when you're new, you tend to prepare way more than you do later once you get more experience. Absolutely. And so there was a couple experiences actually. In my early years where I would, you know, do like, and also you go longer. So like, did like a two hour session with this one woman and like over prepared the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a donation based thing. All the energy I thought was fine during the session. And then she literally sent me $2 and 50 cents through PayPal afterwards. And like, that was a game changer for me. I was like, wait, hold on. And I couldn't say anything because it's a donation thing. And so that was the moment I changed donation into a set fee. Okay. So before that, it was like you had a suggested range of like 45 or. Yeah, it was, it was like in between 50 and 100. You know what? This is like so early days where it was just donation, probably. Like where it wasn't even listed, when I didn't even have a site. So you didn't even say what it was. It was just whatever. And and somebody actually did just give you 250. And that was. $2.50, yeah. So that was the most insulting thing that's probably ever happened to me. And, um, cause even if at, then, at, at the very least, it's like you just spent, let's say, even if it was just a consultation itself, you just spent like an hour and a half yeah. talking with this person and taking that time out of your day to do yeah. that. And yeah, and they paid you less, even a portion of what minimum wage would be if you were doing that. You know, at a, at a like a fast food joint or something. Exactly, and that's why I use the word absurd in response to Christina's question because whoever the woman was she, that she gave a reading is obviously not fully here in reality because mm-hmm. what it comes down to is energy exchange. Yep. When you're sitting down with someone for an hour and you are holding space, sacred space, in my opinion, and doing this work with someone, it really does depend on what you would charge for that. Like I've just learned from the field, you know, and I had Maurice as a teacher that was constantly pushing me into charging what like professionals charge. If I didn't have that, I probably would still, well, who knows, but I was charging 108 for the longest time. And then got this point, like, it was like, okay, I can't do this because I'm just going to be booked forever. And it doesn't feel like it's an equal energy exchange. And so would would you both agree that like the set rate for most professional readings is like over two hundred bucks? Uh, Let's say nah. one hundred fifty to yeah, two hundred. One fifty to one seventy one seventy five is getting probably average. Because I remember when I went up to one seventy five a few years ago, and I had major trepidation. Like people had to like talk me into it. For sure, that's uh, how I was the whole way through, man. What and I think that's typical of most conscientious like astrologers that care about what they're doing is sometimes they do have reservations raising their prices or not wanting to price out clients because you want to make your services available or you want to make sure that people are getting that it's worth it right um yeah and i think too it's it's an evolution like you said i i started fifty dollars yeah yeah and then what starts to happen is you know i'm sure you boys are at this too but i'm at like 
many thousands of clients later now, right? right? So I haven't read a couple hundred charts. I've read many thousands of charts at this point. Yeah, and that's not an exaggeration. You're telling me over lunch that you you're you're doing like three at least three consultations a day now, but two years ago in 2016, you did 600 readings. In one year. Okay. I did 600 chart readings in one year. And that's just, that's insane wrong. to me. It's I wrong. Just, yeah. It's sick. It's and this, <laughs> this was before. I have this. Yeah, go it's on. Bad. Have it's you? bad. So it's, for that's, the, yeah. the yeah, soul. Okay. Yeah, and that yeah. was just to make ends meet. And I wasn't charging like a little, I was charging a pretty like normal average rate. But, but again, when you run a business or we run a podcast, a lot of the money we make goes back into the, the business. It goes back into the podcast, right? Mm. And so, which is free, which is free. I mean, it's just, it's, it's yeah. an incredible thing. And this, and so when you're reading a chart, you're not just holding the space and doing the energy exchange. You're coming with thousands of hours of experience. I mean, thousands of hours of experience and that should be re- not rewarded, but appreciated. Uh-huh. And and when I hear this conversation, all I think is the Pisces Virgo axis, right? Pisces so spiritual, the spiritual side of, of astrology. And then Virgo to me is that, uh, the, the actual service, right. And which can bring up shame and guilt, which is money. And in our culture, we have a very strong belief that wealthy people are bad are evil. But the truth is, is the more money we have, the more people we can serve. So here we are sitting here at this, you know, beautiful living room today using beautiful microphones. And because you have been able to afford yourself the opportunity to buy better equipment, more people are going to listen to this episode, right? Because it sounds good, it feels good, and there's hours of experience behind it. So we're actually serving more people through having more money. And so it's the 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 attachment of shame and guilt to money to me is all the Virgo Pisces stuff. Uh, and I think hopefully my hope in our culture is that we don't see money as evil, but we can see it as godlike, you know, that, you know, every single cent we earn or spend is, has a creation and a destruction aspect to it. So major corporations create a lot and they destroy a lot. And when we don't have money, we can't create as much and we also therefore can't destroy as much. And so we aren't having as big of an impact on society. And I think that it's funny. I first learned about this from one of my great teachers, which is this guy named Dr. John Martini. I talk about him all the time on the podcast. And I came here to the Integral Center about five years ago and I saw him talk on uh, in Boulder on spirituality and money. And it was a brilliant thing. And I love his approach to it, but he really changed my feeling of having shame and guilt around having money and just really seeing that if I value myself, the world values me. So if I'm only charging $50, that's how much my clients are going to value me. They're not going to value that session. They just won't. But if they're spending $200 on it, they're going to take it more seriously. And I'm going to take it more seriously because there's a higher exchange rate at that point. And I think that something that people wanting to get a reading, they can get intimidated by the high price of it. But keep in mind, you don't see us every week, like a therapist session, you might see us only once a year. Um, and that that is coming with, again, thousands of hours of blood, sweat and tears that we've put into becoming successful astrologers. There's more to it than just that session. There's, there's a whole world behind it. And, and remembering that 
like the more we hold on to that money, like the less things are allowed to flow in, in this world. Uh, the, so those are some of my thoughts on it, but to me, it's all Virgo Pisces. It's, um, um, but I think the more money you have, the more people you can serve. And I think that's something that we shouldn't feel shameful or guiltful about. Sure. And, and it just from a historical perspective, the original question was just, is there any historical context for that? And I don't think, I think the answer is no, because astrologers have always had to get by and, and yeah. to the extent that you devote all of your time, like it takes a real devotion and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time to, to develop a, a solid understanding of astrology and to become good at it. And you really do have to devote as much focus as you can to doing so. And, and it becomes a lifelong study and, and if you're a full time job, yeah, and if you're doing yeah. that, that that then becomes your job. And typically, astrologers have always made money either from clients and doing consultations or reading charts for people, whatever type of chart that is, whether it's a natal chart or doing electional charts or horary charts or mundane charts or whatever, you know, sinistry or what have you, or through teaching astrology. Um, or occasionally through like publishing or something like that, like writing a column of some sort, like a horoscope column. But you know, I don't think there's been a time period. Or I can't think of a time period, even even in like ancient Egypt, not ancient Egypt, but like Greco-Roman Egypt, where there was astrologers in the Egyptian temples, uh, where people could go there and and get a consultation about their birth chart. Like they were still, uh, I think, accepting money for that. So it's not like there was like this mythical period where astrologers just like lived without <laughs> any any expenses, right? Yeah. Any bill, yeah. And there would still be patronage, and yeah. there would still be totally. something to be given so that they can live and keep doing their work. Yeah, I mean, occasionally right. you will get those astrologers that have like a wealthy patron who yeah. you know covers all the astrologers' expenses, and then the astrologer has the free time to do whatever. But that's because they have somebody supporting them financially. Yeah. Uh so that that element has always been there and that's always been certainly like a tension to some extent, but it's it's a, a necessary one and it's one that I think helps to further the practice of astrology because like one of the, the things that I've had over the past few years is that the podcast has taken more time and has become more successful. I stopped doing consultations in order yeah. to write my book and over the now that the book is out you know, last year, and I've gotten back to doing the podcast. I have this real question about whether I should just focus, as I have been, on doing the podcast full time and teaching and doing courses and stuff full time, which can be a full time job, or if I should go back to doing consultations just because I don't want to lose that edge, or because you are always like the best way to learn astrology is by reading charts for other people in some instances. There is something about that exchange that's really important, and whether I would be really harming my sort of progression and evolution mm. of, as an astrologer, not having that client component or whether I can still get that by doing like the research on the side that I'm doing for the purpose of teaching. Well, you um, could charge what the polarity of what you brought up for like charging nothing or charging like close to a thousand dollars for a reading one a week. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> you can well, and, week. and keep in mind, like, I, well, you guys are taking that seriously. I was completely joking. Okay. You're joking about that. I don't know. Like, yeah, I was no. going to say, cause that's a, it's like some people do that. Yeah. There's I mean, a YouTube astrologer. too that charge that much. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it almost would take something like that for me to go back to doing it for me to be yeah. worthwhile. But then at the same time, there's a lot, there'd be a lot of pressure doing like a, a, a thousand reading, dollar reading. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what are you, you going to have to tell that person? Like the secrets of the universe <laughs> yeah. for yeah. that to be, 
worth it. Well, and I think if I Happy think this ending. is a great, great conversation to kind of leave listeners to contemplate because if we don't change our approach around money and astrology, uh, I, I don't think that's great for our field because again, that doesn't keep people accountable. You know, if you're not paying somebody for a reading or or you're giving advice without asking for money, there's a lack of accountability that can take place and. You know, at Norwac, uh, Maurice had asked people at the beginning of the conference last year, how many, there was what, 500 people there maybe at the conference and yeah, like three or 400, yeah, something like that. And we were all, we were all in the, the room and he said, who here, you know, does astrology? Every hand was up. How many people read charts for clients? And, you know, about half of the hands went down. How many get paid? And another half went down. How many do it part-time? And by the time he said, how many people full-time do this professionally? I think there was five hands left up. Right. Wow. Right. And, and the reason for that is because That's it's most, most people, like the definition of astrologer, the actual working definition of astrologer in the astrological community is somebody that believes that astrology is a legitimate phenomenon and uses it in their life on a regular basis and studies the subject on a regular basis. But most of those people that fall into those definition, astrology is still not necessarily their primary vocation right. because it's so hard to make it as a professional astrologer with that as your primary vocation that most people actually have side jobs or their primary right. vocation is something else. Well, I think then for us who do do it full time, that we're leading the way by saying this is a valuable profession. This is a profession. There is no way around it. This helps people so much. It helps us as individuals. I value that and I am going to charge for it. Like period. There's, and if we keep this kind of maybe more bartering system or the more giving it away, then it, it does harm, I think, to the profession. I think that creating this and saying this is a profession is is good for everyone involved. And, and for people as a client realizing that the, when you are a full-time professional astrologer, you have I'm not joking when I said sweat, blood, and tears to get to where we are because we've had to learn to value our work that much to be able to to make a living off of it. Sure, and to be that passionate about just the oh, subject absolutely. in order to make those the necessary sacrifices to get to that point. Huge sacrifices, and not necessarily knowing if there's going to be success yeah. at the end of that yeah. or if it's just failure. No. Um, so there's one last thing because I think it ties. In, I think it just it ties in. It's just one last question that ties into this whole discussion, and I thought you guys would have great answers. for Okay, it. cool, do it, and then we'll wrap this up. It's from a listener named Marin Altman, and she says, "Do you have any advice for newer astrologers?" on mistakes made as uh, an earlier earlier in your astrological career you that you look back on now mm. do you have any uh, have you had any like mistakes that you think about from back in the day that like if you could go back and do it over again you'd do things differently yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's pretty easy and we already mentioned it over preparing for a reading i think that over preparation for readings is detrimental to allowing room and openness and also a heart connection to occur with the consultation. And so, yeah, in the, in the early years, I would have pages of notes mm -hmm. going into a reading and it was a, it was the same experience I would have in school and in college, like giving reports 
I'd have like all my notes in front of me and then I'd like have this panic moment, like looking down and like I, I would have blurry eyes. I couldn't see anything. And so I would just like, like I remember like one lecture I gave in specific, in specific in college, tossing the paper to the side and being like, fuck it. I can do this without the notes. I know how to access that part of who I am. And the same is true with astrology. As long as you have the intention mm-hmm. of helping someone, mm-hmm. and as long as you're coming from the heart, as long as you know the chart and what you've already looked at, then there's certain things that occur that that emerge in the session. And so I, at this point, because I've done thousands of them myself, it's 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 like truly riding a bike, and right. I can allow that space to occur. And then there's all of this interesting back and forth that happens, and that to me is the whole point to get to in consultations and so over preparation is my mistake but that's still something where you have to almost still do that in order to get to that point in the sense that like it's only after doing a ton of consultations that eventually you could transition into that stage where things come more intuitively or or maybe it's not even intuitive maybe it's just you know the the primary things the go-to things right, that you right. need to look at whereas if you're brand new, maybe you still need to like learn those basic steps or have that practice and that pressure of like feeling the need to prepare a lot ahead of time is maybe sometimes, I don't know, helpful or like a necessary thing. Because I I mean, I understand your point and I think it's a good point because it's something eventually everyone has to make that transition where you stop spending like a week preparing a consultation. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, real. Then you have to force yourself out of that eventually, but it's still a process that I think it's good for people to go through to some extent as they get more comfortable doing consultations. Right. You know, I never have ever prepared for a reading ever, not once in my entire career because I was trained as a therapist. Yeah. So it's Mm. a client driven session. Mm. They tell me where they want to go with the chart. Mm -hmm. And I think though it's true after doing it thousands of times your access points grow, right? Well, right. So, so maybe at the beginning, you don't know where to access that concern or that question, but I've actually, and of course I have no Virgo in my chart to the, you know, Virgo rising aspect. I'm not a very, I don't prepare for much in, in life in general. I'm very Piscean and airy. So I just go with it. So, um, so I think there's all kinds of ways we can approach those readings, but I, I will say the big mistake I made at the beginning was again, I didn't realize the impact I had. I didn't cause, cause I again had trained as a therapist and you have, and that's what you learn. You learn boundaries over and over. You get drilled into your head boundaries. Like that's what you spend all that money for is how do you say, you know, learn transference and counter transference. This is your story. This is my story. Mm-hmm. And how am I influencing your story? And so I think that when people go into a therapy session, they're already, there's a boundary just by the paperwork you sign. Right. So like I, with my clients, they fill out legal documents. (laughs) Like it is a legal contract I have with my clients um, because I learned that through therapy. And so it winds up becoming something that they can lead. But when I first started and I wasn't doing that, I was saying things, not realizing the dramatic implication. Cause as a therapist, you, you can't affect someone that deeply, but when you bring in the stars, when you bring in the cosmos it brings in a whole nother element that is like almost uncontrollable or, or divine or something to that effect. So one of my first clients, I said something and this was yeah 10 years ago and she came back to me and she said, she wasn't really a client. She was like a friend at the time. And 
still a friend. And she said, you know, many months after the reading I gave her, she said, you know, I had to go to therapy for six months because of what you told me. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you said that I probably was this type of person in a past life. And I, and she said, and that triggered something so deep in me, brought up stuff from my past that I had forgotten about. And that's when I was like, whoa, this is so affecting and powerful, this, this tool. And so now I'm very, I let the client lead. Mm. Right. And so I mirror their experience with the chart and I never assume anything anymore. Um, and I, and I, I'm very, very conscientious with the words I use. I mean, my first time an astrologer looked at my chart, we talked about this. They said I would never have a partner based on my chart. I will never have a partner in life. And then we did a podcast. I was like, oh, Eugenia, wait, it's coming. Right. And it did. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. But they told me that they said that won't happen for you. Like Hmm. that is a really detrimental thing to say, especially to a 26 year old fertile woman. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things like that about like, what is it ethical to say in astrology and what would other astrologers find unethical or inappropriate Mm -hmm. or just not? Correct, um, especially when making statements like that, such like hard edged statements yeah. of like X like will never happen. Yeah, absolutes. And I think so. It's up to all of us to really fall on our faces as astrologers and have support from one another. You know, like I do supervision groups with my um, accessible astrology. So I've been training astrologers. They've been going out seeing clients and then they come back and do supervision, you know, to kind of help keep everybody intact, mm-hmm. keep everybody like ethical or held accountable for the fact that the words we say penetrate deeply, deeper than I think other professionals have the ability. Like we're kind of like doctors, you know, it's, it's, we can get deep into people's psyche and to really, I think though, again, you've, you learn by messing up, you learn by falling on your face and, and I'm sure all of us have said something to a few clients that have had negative reaction. And and we've had to learn through that to, to be better astrologers ultimately. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had a few things like that. I had mm. one astrologer tell sometimes it can be like misinterpretations. Like oh, so the client hugely. doesn't yeah. understand or takes something you've said like wildly out of context. Wildly, like yeah. I had another astrologer tell me once, like they had a consultation with somebody and the person said that I had they had a consultation with me and that I had said when they were gonna die or something <laughs> like that. And I just knew immediately, like, that's not something I would ever predict or state in a consultation. Right. So there, there's no way I said that, but right. I'm actually now really curious then what it was I did say that they took that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or other times I had somebody where I made a more general statement. I had like a coworker, I worked at a coffee shop and I looked at her chart once and I saw that she was having some difficult transit in like the third house, like Saturn was going into a third house where it was going to hit some planets. And mm-hmm. I said- you know, it looks like you might have some difficulty with siblings over the next few years because I knew sh- she had siblings and they were pretty important in her life. And years later, I was working in another coffee shop and she came up to me and she just had this like look and she's like, you know, that that reading you did for me years ago always stuck in my mind because uh, about a year later, my sibling died. And then she always thought about that statement and I had made. And, and when she came up, like I kind of vaguely remembered the conversation, but it wasn't something that was like a big impact on me at the time. But to her, she took it really seriously because that ended up being sort of important foreshadowing. 
And we have to realize that we have a, a very, very large impact on people. It's just part of this profession. It just is. And, um, and you, cause our, our words land and they can land for years in people's soul, you know, they so, can land for a lifetime. So maybe that's the answer then. So be careful what you say, Absolutely. choose your, yeah. choose your words carefully very much and, so. and take it, take this it is seriously. A serious profession. It's not a joke. Yeah. This is a very serious profession. Sure. All right. Well, that might be a good, good uh, note. To, that's actually kind part of a one. De- it's kind of a depressing note to wrap <laughs> part up one of on. Three. But this is so we're going to wrap yeah. up part one. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. And how now, do we find you, Eugenia? Do that too. How to find the other episodes? No, no, well, that yeah, for sure. And then how to find us? Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to now yeah. stop this. We're going to record a, a, another discussion for Adam's podcast, which you can find at what is your URL, Adam? Holistoheavens.com or just type in exploring astrology. Just search for like Google exploring astrology podcast. You'll find it on Adam. Do you know what episode? Do you have episode numbers or? Nope. I stopped with the missing ones, but I think I'm, (laughs) I think I'm past 300. Okay. So it'll be up though sometime in the next few weeks for like the Q and A. So part two of this Q and A, you'll find it on Adam's website, uh, exploring astrology. And then for Eugenia, uh, it's going to be on the bridging. Part three is going to be on the Bridging Astrology or Bridging Realities podcast. Yeah, Bridging Realities and Accessible Astrology podcast. Same thing. Google it, iTunes it. Uh, yep. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And just, you know, as a teaser, that the, the next parts are not as much about the logistics of us as professionals yes. in podcasting, but we're going to cover questions like Uranus and Taurus, Chiron and Aries, and some other odd questions in there too. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. yeah. Yeah, we broke up the questions and uh we're gonna do some interesting other themed ones on, on Adam's and then on Eugenia's. And I might answer some of these on like a separate podcast because there's a bunch we didn't get to just mm-hmm. because that's what always happens on the QA episodes. We- yeah, thanks for all the good questions. Yeah. BTW, yeah. Thanks everyone for yeah. sending in those questions and thanks for, for listening. And uh we'll see you next time. Ciao.